You're listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. We continue in our series of Fighting for the Family. It's in uh, the book of Ephesians. If you've read through Ephesians, you know Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. Uh, Paul tells us about who we are in Christ, and we're not, we're not preaching from that part of the book, so I encourage you to go back and read that if you haven't read that recently, to understand who you are in Christ. But then in 4, 5, and 6, those chapters, Paul talks about how who you are in Christ should make a difference in the way you live. And so we are, we're preaching primarily through the fifth chapter of, of Ephesians, and today we're looking at how to fight for your family. You know, I've, I got to thinking about this when Pastor Allen asked me, would you be ready to, would you be willing to preach on this? I thought, well, first of all, could you give me an easier topic? That would be a little easier to do. And then I looked and said, well, Lucy and I last month were married 45 years. Uh, thank you. Uh, not all of them happy, but the majority of them happy. And so, uh, and then I got to thinking, you know, 45 years of marriage, I've been married longer than most of our staff members spent alive, and so maybe that's why I got the privilege of speaking on this. And I know some of you out there have been married longer than that. You say 45 years is nothing that you've got socks that old, and, and perhaps so. But, uh, you know, I, I get the privilege of telling you when things were tough for us, we learned these biblical principles, the principles from this passage of Scripture. So I just want to share with you what we've learned and we learned how to fight for our marriage. You know, when I do premarital counseling, I hear from couples all the time, if I can just make it through the wedding. If we can just get through the wedding, things will be great. And my answer is, oh no. It's being married the next 50 years that's tough. Getting through the wedding is just like basic training for that. Uh, See, marriage is the one thing in life that we assume will be automatically successful just because we've done it. We think we get married, we're going to live happily ever after. I mean, how many of you have done anything for the first time that was successful? How many of you decided you were going to become a baker and your first cake was just perfect? Or you decided you were going to do, you know, anything, and you were just a success at it from the very beginning. Well, chances are you weren't, but you kept working at it, and hopefully now your cakes are edible or whatever. But, I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're working at becoming better. You weren't a success just because you chose to do that. But marriage is the one thing that we think, because we just choose to do it, that we're going to be successful at it. And that's far from the case. Uh, marriage requires an effort. Marriage requires a plan. And that's what Paul's talking about in this passage of Scripture. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. And if you will uh, bear with me, stand with me in honor of reading and hearing of God's Word. If you're visiting with us and you're looking in the Pew Bible, it's on page 978. If you're worshiping with us online, it's on page whatever in your Bible or or. or Turn it on so we can see the glow of the Bible on your face. But uh, God's word is still the same. Chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. 
Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the, Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thank you. You may be seated. As I was preparing for this, I, I, I thought, why do people get married today? I've been married so long, I can't remember why I got married, but I mean, it's, it's why do people get married today? And so I went to the Pew Research Association. They're sort of a foundation unaligned with anything, but they just look into social issues. And so I looked at their list to see why people got married. And here, this is, this is not like uh, Letterman's Top Ten or anything like that, or uh, Family Feud, you have to guess. But I just wanted to see why people got married. And, and the first reason was love. That shouldn't surprise you. The top reason was love. People fall in love and they just get married. That's what you do. See, in premarital counseling, I, I, I have the couple sit down and they, I want them to look at each other. And so they turn and look at each other and hold hands. And I ask them, I said, do you think your love for each other will ever change? And, you know, they look at each other and say, no. Never change. And I said, you better hope it does. See, right now, when you first are married, when you're first in love, it's very romantic and very erotic, and God gave that, and that's that's designed. But when we get older, we don't look like we do now. You know, and that love that you have for each other better grow and get deeper and become more of a friendship love and get closer to agape love so that we can continue to love like God wants. Otherwise, when the flame's out, we just go look for another hit of the flame. And there's no reason to fight for our marriage. <clears throat> Part of that premarital counseling, I give a, a, a test. Well, it's not a test. You can't fail it or anything. But it's sort of a relationship assessment. And one of the questions that you ask is, there's only one person, or there are many people that could, I could have a happy marriage with, true or false? And if you answer that question true, there, there are many people, the test says, good, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you faithful over many marriages. Um, no. See, if we say, some of you wake up and wait, about the middle of lunch, you'll start going, ooh, that was funny. Um, there, we believe that God has a person that he's put us together with. And so if you answer that, no, false, the, ter- the, the test says, eh, that's wrong. Because the world believes that there are many people that you can have a happy marriage with. So if this one's not working out, just ditch them and get another one. Because there's a bunch of them out there. So there's no need to fight for this one. Uh, the next most common reason is having children. 
fall in love, everybody wants to have a baby, that will just cement our relationship together. And you parents are going, oh, no. Because <laughs> you've had them. And you know that that becomes a real challenge unless you have a pretty healthy relationship when you have that child. That child just becomes another challenge in your relationship. And the more children you have, over a period of time, you start just relating to each other through the children. And that's why you see when the, the empty nest happens and all the kids are gone, the husband looks at the wife and goes, who are you? Because they've been relating to each other just through the kids. And so it doesn't cement our relationship. And as a matter of fact, some people are not choosing to do that at all. They're just skipping marriage at all and having children. Last year, over 1.5 million live births were to unmarried mothers. Right now, 39.8% of all births are to unmarried women. That, that we're not to, marriage is not for me. I can still have my children, have my child. Uh, another reason, religious reasons. You know, there are some faith traditions that say you just need to get married because God's blessings will be in your marriage if you get married in the church. I don't know how many times that people say, we want to get married in church, so God will be in our wedding. Survey says, and thanks for playing. Just because you get married in the church, for religious reasons, doesn't make God put God in your marriage. But some faith traditions say you need to be married in a certain way. And you know what? When somebody tells you that you ought to do something this way, what's your first reaction? Uh-uh. You know, when we're married for a religious reason because we feel this compulsion to do that, that doesn't give us a lot of reason to fight for our marriage. Financial stability is next in order. The U.S. News and World Report said that the couples who are living together without marriage make 61% of the income that couples who are married make. I don't know how they figured that out. But it says there's some financial benefits, obviously, to being married. And some of it's communal property, inheritance, you know, retirement accounts, and those sort of things. So basically it says if you marry, you marry for the money. And my question is, if you marry for the money, what are you going to fight for? The money, okay? You're not going to fight for your marriage. You fight for the money. Some get married for legal reasons, and there are tons of legal reasons that legal advantages being being married. I've been visiting this guy in the hospital, and let's just say he's been married four times and got some other significant people in his life, and so we're trying to figure out who makes the, the, the legal decisions about him. The, the legal next of kin there is very difficult to figure out, and so, you know, you get to be make financial decisions, you get to make health care decisions, uh, parenting decisions, all of those things are easier if you are married. It basically just says, if you get married, it's really good business to get married. It's a good business decision. But what happens when the business goes out? Then you find another person to do business with. No reason to fight for your marriage. And there are just some societal expectations. That, you know, in America, we think people ought to just kind of pair up and do this. There's a reason. You, you, there's something wrong if you're like 50 and you're not married. Uh, you know, they're just... There's just, couples ought to be together. But what did you do when your parents told you you ought to do something? 
You know, it, no, come on. Uh, some of you can't remember back that far, I know. But I tell you what, when, when you tell your kids something, they're, usually their first response is not thank you for letting, making me do that. You know, those societal expectations that put us together don't give us any compulsion to fight for our marriages. So, maybe the common reasons people get married, but is it the reasons people stay married? Are there reasons to fight for one's marriage? When it gets tough, and it's going to, what are you going to do? Statistics say that these are not good reasons, and I'll tell you why. Good news is if you get married, there's a 60% chance you'll stay married. 60% of all first marriages succeed. So, odds are in your favor. Yet the divorce rate overall is 50%. Why? Because the people who divorce and remarry, 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 just basically have serial marriages. <clears throat> and so they're, they're, they don't stick to it. They find something else. They're looking for something new and fresh. And some people just giving up on marriage altogether. It's cohabitation, just living together without being married is on the rise in America. In 2016, 18 million couples were just living together. Decided, nope, marriage not for me. We're just going to live together. That's up 29% from 2007. And that trend's going to continue. So is marriage outdated? Uh, is the traditional picture of marriage no longer valid for us? No longer defendable? Do we just give up and give in? I think Paul gives us a great picture in Ephesians chapter 5 of what the image of a biblical marriage looks like. It's a husband and a wife intentionally, lovingly committing to each other in this thing called marriage. See, when our love in marriage is about self-fulfillment and self-satisfaction, it's about me. It's about our vision. When it's about me, we lose God's vision from the marriage relationship. And when that happens, it's easy to give up on our marriage and not fight for it. When things get tough, and they will. So we need to focus on God's plan and not our desires. And I think there are three reasons that I've found in this particular passage of Scripture that tell us why we should fight for our marriage. The first one is God has a plan. Now, I know... You say, how is that in there? Well, you look in here. Paul is writing said, There's, this is how marriage ought to be. So he didn't just come up with this. There's probably a plan here. And there's a passage of Scripture that we know when we talk about God's plan for us. We find it in Jeremiah, and it says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you and I will seek you will seek after me and you will find me when you seek after me with all of your heart. See, from the very beginning of creation, God's got a plan. And we don't have any problem with that. Most of you don't have any problem to say God has a plan. Matter of fact, if you say that there is no plan, you say we're just here because of accident, which are sort of these abhorrent permutations in life, and I'm going, wow, you're a better person of faith than me. I mean, we just got to be this complex because lightning struck a pond of ooze sometime. I mean, that's, that is a lot of faith that we got to hear. 
And so you are a person of faith, but it's, it's not hard for us to say God has a plan. But when we say, now, God has a plan for me, you mean God was thinking about me when he was thinking about everything else? I have news for you, yes. When God was creating everything, he had a plan for July 14th, 2019. Matter of fact, he has a plan for July 14th, 2020. He has a plan for everything. God, you were on his mind when he was creating the world. And so you are part of his plan. And so he has a plan for you. And if marriage is a part of that plan, then it's not a choice for you. It's a part of God's plan for you. And you fight for God's plan, not for a choice that you made. If it's a part of God's plan for you, you fight for God. You, you fight for being faithful to a faithful God. You being faithful to a God that created you and created the plan for you. That's what you fight for. Not for this relationship. Now I have a caveat. Does that mean that if I'm single... I miss God's plan. Some of you are thinking that. Answer me, absolutely not. You did not miss God's plan for you. Matter of fact, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians develops, spends a whole chapter writing about marriage. Now, let me just stop for a moment and tell you about reading Paul and reading Paul's letters. We want to think that Paul wrote to us to develop a systematic theology. And most of you looked at me and said, do what? You're speaking a foreign language. And when I was in seminary, that was a foreign language, trust me. Systematic theology is, is, a, is an organized belief of what happens and how everybody should believe. We think Paul was just writing to us and saying, now, and this is how you're going to believe about everything in life. So we read through there and we try to develop that into a systematic theology. And that's not what Paul was doing at all. Paul was playing this great, the biggest game of Jeopardy you've ever seen. What we have here are the answers to questions without the questions. Almost all of Paul's writings, someone wrote to him or someone communicated to him, what do you think about this? And so he said, this is what I think about this, but we don't know what the question was. And so that's why you can read over here and say, well, it seems like Paul is contradicting himself over here. It's not quite the same. The question were probably not the same. See, I think the question that he's, asking, he's answering in chapter 5 is not about how to have a marriage. He's, they ask him a question about what does this relationship between God and Jesus and his church look like? And he said, well, the best image I have for you is the marriage. But he does write about what marriage should look like in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The married man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And his interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things how to please her husband. I say this for you, for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
For if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It's not a sin, no sin. But if whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this is in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. And he finishes up by saying, So then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So it's not bad to be married or, or, or good to be married. He just said that for single people, you have the opportunity to give 100% devotion and attention to God. But if you're married, you can't do that. You need to give attention and devotion to your spouse. Paying attention to your spouse is important. And it's a plan, and it's going to take part of your attention. So it doesn't mean that if you're single, you've missed God's plan. It just says, if you are single, you have the option to focus more fully on God than married folks. Because married folks need to pay attention to your spouse. That's part of God's plan. So how do you know if that person that's next to you is the right one for you? I know what you're wanting. You're wanting a little sign that says, Mr. Right. Or Miss Right. Don't you just wish that was the case? Wouldn't you take a collect call from God? Wouldn't you pay the charges if you wouldn't? You're young, you don't know what a collect call is anymore. But, um, <clears throat> but I mean, wouldn't you take an email with spam in it from God, okay? If he if just tell you the right there. So how do you know the person that's right for you? The person that God wants for you will bring you closer to the Lord than to themselves. You will see biblical traits in them. It'll be someone who's going to run the Christian race in tandem with you until the end, who will fight for you in the relationship until the very end. That's how you're going to know. And people are worried about, well, if God's got a plan for me, and how will they, God put me together with that person? I won't go into details, but let me just tell you a quick story. God took a 21-year-old guy in north-central Florida who really didn't give a rip about him and transported him to El Paso, Texas through an invitation from you called the draft. You've been chosen by your ex-friends and ex-neighbors, okay? Um, and so I was drafted. And God moved me from Gainesville, Florida, through Louisville, Kentucky, to El Paso, Texas. And he moved an 18-year-old woman from Boise, Idaho, a woman who had gone to church nine months before she was born. Okay. <laughs> was always in church. Moved her from Boise, Idaho, to El Paso, Texas, within months of each other. And we met not looking for each other. And after the service, you want to come tell the de get the details of that, I'll tell you. But he moved us. He will put you together with the person he has for you. Because he's God. He can do that. He has the ability. He's going to bring his plan to fruition because he is sovereign. We don't have to worry about that. I've got another important caveat for you who are single, actually for all of us, really. 
And that's found in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And you have been made complete in Christ, who is the head of every other ruler and authority. God doesn't make half persons. You say, I need to find my other half. Well, then God didn't make you that way. He did not make you a half person. You don't need to find anything but a relationship with him. That's all you need to find. So you say, well, I need to find my other half. Well, you ain't going to find him or her. Because he didn't make you need another half. He made you need a relationship with him. And that's all you need. So you don't need another person to complete or fulfill you. It's not what you need at all. But does God's plan include somebody else in our life? Yeah, Mike. You remember some folks in the Bible, Adam and Eve. God says it's not good for Adam to be alone. He gave Eve with the express purpose of populating the earth. Abraham and Sarah put the two of them together so they could become the parents of the Hebrew world. Esther and King Xerxes. Remember that story? Esther married the king for such a time as this so she could become the savior of the Jewish people that were in captivity. Boaz and Ruth. Boaz was God's provision for Ruth, who had been a faithful daughter-in-law and stuck with it even when she didn't have to. And the one that you know about, Joseph and Mary. I mean, think about this. You wanted to be an unmarried pregnant lady? God said, no, I'm going to provide a family environment for my son to grow up in. There was a purpose there. And he has a plan that includes us in our life. So fighting for your marriage is fighting for God's plan. Okay? It's not fighting for your marriage. It's fighting for the plan that God has for you. But there's another part, another reason I think we fight for our marriage, and it's part of God's plan is, God's plan is that we are a new creation. Now we get to Ephesians, and he, he writes this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Jesus talked about this. Jesus being he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the very beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. See, many people think marriage is a 50-50 proposition. And if you really want to sound deeply caring, it's 100-100. we got to give 100% of myself to her, 100% of her. There's some contractual obligation that we make with each other Two people choosing to be together. Let me show you the biblical illustration of marriage. The children's sermon. This is what you'll remember. You won't remember anything else. But you'll remember this. Let's let, because I couldn't find pink, we'll let the yellow be the ladies, okay? And guys, we'll just be sexist. We'll be blue. Okay? Get over it. It says that God's going to put two people together and you're going to be a new creation. And this is what happens when God puts you together. You are something new. You are no longer blue. You are no longer yellow. You are green. And I defy you to get the blue back out of there and put in that bottle. 
and you get the yellow back out of there and put it in that bottle. You can't do it. That's God's image for us. Marriage is not this contract that sticks us together. It makes us a new creation. We're no longer to be separated because we're no longer us. We are new. We fight for our marriage as a married couple because we're that new creation in Christ. You're something new. The old has passed away. And we fight for our marriage because we are new. And it's part of God's plan for us. Third reason. Biblical marriage relationship mirrors a heavenly relationship. I know what you guys have been thinking ever since I started. When are we going to get to wives submit to your husbands? You've been, no, come on now. Don't stand there and be holy like that. You were thinking that. When are we getting to that part? Okay, good news, we're there. We're at that point. What does it say in Ephesians? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And husbands, love your own wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And why? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's why Paul is writing here. It's not about the marriage relationship and authority. There is, a, there is some authority and structure in here, and here's what I'm going to do about that. I'm leaving that for Pastor Allen, okay? <laughs> That'll teach you, okay? No, there is, some, there is some responsibility and authority in marriage. I believe that the husband is going to have greater accountability to God. So he's not going to be able to pawn it off on Eve, all right? Not going to be able to pass it off. But that's not what he's writing about here. He's writing about how our relationship looks like Christ's relationship to the church. Why else would he mention the church? If it was just about marriage, he'd be back over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is about how our relationship in marriage looks like Christ's relationship to the church. Now, I know what women think. Women hear the Bible says, submit their husbands, and they think, God wants me to be a slave. That's not fair. They forget that the Bible tells men to lay down their lives for their wives. And we're committed to each one as to the Lord. And I think here's the reason, here's the major reason, the most important reason that I've found in life to defend our marriage from internal and external attacks. And it's this. Marriage shows the relationship between Christ and the church and it's put on display in front of the whole world. Marriage is to show how Christ loves the church and how the church is to be devoted to him. Think about that. Think about that marriage relationship, gang. Christ loved his church unconditionally. 
He has unconditional love for us. He died for his church. He willingly gave himself up and died for his church. And it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ is actively fighting for his church today. And it says he's coming back for us. He's coming back for his bride. That's what we're to reflect. What does it say in Revelation? It says this, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteousness deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Can you imagine anything that would make Christ give up on his bride? And that's what we're to mirror in our marriage relationship. It's not about how good looking I am. Just ask Lucy. She thinks I'm good looking. Till they remove the cataracts, and now there's a different story in her life. But I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> she sees me differently now. How? I don't know. But we're committed to each other because Christ is committed to his bride. And guys, that's the plan for us, basically. We are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And when we do that, ladies, it makes you easy for you to love your husbands. When they love you the way Christ loves the church, it's easy to love them. Our commitment and endurance in marriage is a witness to the world how committed Christ is to the church. That's why we fight for it. So what do we do with all this? That was a great story, Pastor John. Thank you for sharing that with us. And you're looking and going, it's about lunchtime. If you'd shut up, I could go eat. So what, is, what difference is that going to make in your life? Well, I'm going to tell you, it, what you know should make a difference. See, I know that if I eat less and exercise more, I'm going to lose weight. And all of you out there are going, Apparently, he doesn't know that too well. You're kind. See, the first group, they just laughed. So thank you for being kind, okay? See, I know that, but how much of a difference does that make in my life? Thank you for not saying not much. It doesn't. See, we can know this about our relationship. We can know this about marriage. But if it doesn't make a difference in our life, then we've missed the point. And the point is simply this. If Christ is not in your life, he is not in your marriage. I can't make it any more plain than that. <clears throat> See, we, when we get married, the guy's over here and the lady's over here, and our desire is to get to know each other more intimately and more fully. And if you've been married very long, you know that that is impossible because guys are wired differently than guys, women. There's just no way that's going to happen. But here's what's happened. When Christ is in us and Christ moves us closer to God, he moves us closer to each other. 
That's why you can't have the godly marriage that he wants if Christ is not in your life. And I can't make, I can't make it any more plain than that. If you want to know why it's not working, it's because the guy who designed it's not in the plan. And he wants you to be a part of the bride. See, I believe in my lifetime Christ is coming back. I believe we're that close. And the scripture says he's coming back for his bride. And my job is to be faithful and pure and holy and committed to him until he returns. And that's what we show about our belief in God when we fight for our marriage. So gang, if, if, if God is not in you, he's not in your marriage. And I will tell you, he's not coming back for you unless you're part of the bride. I can't be more simple than that. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you just to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want you to do business with God this morning. I want you to ask God to shine the truth that he is into you and into your relationship. God, are you pleased with who I am in you? Is there something in my life that needs to change so that I can reflect you more fully? And then I want you to ask, God, are you in my relationship? Are you in my marriage? In such a way that I'm working your plan and not my plan. God, am I so committed to you that I will fight for you like you fight for your bride. Just ask him today. And if there's something he tells you about his evaluation that you need to take care of right now, please don't leave this place until you do.